This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. Fact. The greatest information architect in the world may never get his or her work implemented without the ability to influence decision makers. Senior information architect at Travelocity, Joe Dyer, runs the IA Spy School, outlining simple techniques and methods for working IAs to gather, share, and exploit data to gain influence over decision makers. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Let me get started with a few uh, notes about where this concept of uh, acting like spies came from. It just occurred to me recently that I have never worked for a, a small organization. Uh, my first real job was working for my university, uh, Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, as a lab assistant. Uh, next job was the United States Air Force. Again, kind of not a, a small organization. Matter of fact, I still get questions like, hey, do you know Bill Parks? Yeah, there's a few hundred thousand of us, but uh, I'll, I'll, let me go check. It might be in my instant messenger. Um, after that, USAA, another 22,000 uh, person organization, and Travelocity, which is not small either. So working for large organizations with lots of layers of bureaucracy, with a lot of people with alphabet soup after their names, like SVP and CEO and things like that, I had to learn how to sort of traverse those waters and learn how to influence those people. And this actually came from a real practice. We were calling them executive trading cards at one time. And it's kind of funny. We have the cards that we're all trading today. We actually traded executive trading cards. Um, but I thought I could make the concept a lot bigger, and that's precisely where this came from today. Okay, so why did I choose a spy vehicle for this presentation? And it's simply because I noticed a lot of similarities between spies and IAs. For instance, spies have interrogation techniques. We have contextual inquiry. Spies uh, have something they call human intelligence collection. We have ethnography, and I'll get into human intelligence collection later. The same with open source intelligence collection, and we have competitive analysis. They create and maintain dossiers. We create and maintain persona. And we, tip, we torture our people with usability testing. <laughs> uh, mixed and in, in, interspersed throughout my presentation are going to be some tips that any newly minted spy should know. Uh, these are a few, and they'll be like public service announcements. We'll get back to these. Matter of fact, the first one's right now. Every person in this room has the training devices they need at home to learn to, to read lips. It's in your DVD player. Turn the volume off and uh, turn on the subtitles. And then when you get really good and you want to check your progress, turn subtitles off. This comes in really handy in uh, offices that use a lot of glass, you know, like conference rooms. <laughs> okay, so the spy is an intelligence agent. Spying involves, uh, well, spying is inherently clandestine. And the reason is, in, is clandestine is because people tend to change their behavior when they know you're writing it down kind of like a Hawthorne effect, which is a, a reactionary phenomenon that when people know they're being measured, they change their behavior. 
And also, I just want to put it out there, despite the provocative title, uh, spying gives us a really good model for data collection uh, for using on people, and it's not so evil. And so we'll talk about how to gather, collect, uh, gather intelligence, creating your gathering network, and then how, this is, this is the real payoff, uh, leveraging the intelligence to influ influence key decision makers. Remember the alphabet soup people. We all come to work thinking every day that, that this over here, this is our problem solving, you know, the, the wonderful deliverables we make. But I'm really here to tell you that this is truly the problem solving. Basically gaining influence with key decision makers, getting them to say yes to your ideas. You could have the, the greatest sea-changing idea you've ever had for your industry. If you do not have the ability to influence decision makers, it's, it's like you don't have the idea at all. Okay, so <laughs> there's a true story behind this, if anyone ever wants to ask me. Back in 1995, in a cold winter rural place, this saved my life. Um, if you hold a chair in one hand and a bottle in the other and just go completely ballistic and scream a lot, if people think they're going to spend the night in, a, in an emergency room, they'll back off. And this, of course, means, you know, wannabe, because I certainly didn't want to take on a whole bar of people I didn't know, but um, got me through it. So if you went to work for the CIA, there are many, many disciplines for data collect or intelligence collection, uh, and we can't go into these today. So we're only going to focus on these two, and that's open source intelligence and human intelligence. Open source is basically just going out there and finding published, not trade secrets, not state secrets. Um, I had to put that last bullet in there for someone I work with. They couldn't get around it. And then you're doing this today. You're doing your due diligence. You're getting your, um, you're knowing about your competition. You, you do these sorts of things today. And that's, again, going back to the, the similarities between an IA and a spy. So let's look at some examples. For instance, LinkedIn. I think any corporate executive today uh, has a LinkedIn profile, and it's full of the usual stuff you'd expect. Uh, you know, if they went to Harvard, they probably have a Harvard alum uh, little butt badge on their site. Uh, all the CV fodder you would expect. In Facebook, I, I, I'm actually friended with several executives, and it's amazing that even with their filters and their self-censorship, it's amazing what gets through this, the, uh, the filter and can be exploited. Twitter, when it works, is another way of uh, getting a, a window into somebody's soul. Um, generally, what they dislike, it seems to be the... Um, uh, the ubiquitous place to complain. Of course, Flickr. Uh, again, you'd be surprised at what can get past that, that self-censor. And of course, Google. Uh, there's a great deal to be found on people's pasts, uh, and you collect this together. You're online. Executive bios, a lot of organizations have uh, their own. This handsome gentleman here uh, has his own bio at the Travelocity site. Um, based on just these open sources alone, this is enough to get a baseline profile of, of your target, of the person that you're trying to develop uh, influence with. There's a lot more. You're already doing this in your social interactions with people. You're already doing this, but you might call it people watching. You might call it just being you know, a, good, a good friend or something like that. The, the point is we're going to ask you today to kind of maybe take that up a notch.
I, I can't stress enough the greatest tool that any spy has is listening. You have to be devoted every single day you go to work to taking in more information than what you're going to impart. If you do that on any job, not just being an IA, but any job, you're going to be successful. And this could easily devolve into a course on good listening skills, and we're not going to do that. Also, overt, observable behaviors. Uh, body language, kind of a topic that I'm kind of nah, on because sometimes a behavior like, you know, this can be seen as being frustrated. Some people will say that's being at ease, especially if you're a former military. A key thing here is to see how a decision maker treats somebody else. If you have you know, a product manager or a program manager that's constantly getting hammered by a C-level uh, employee, don't be like that product manager. And, and finally, be very observant to who influences them, the, the target, the decision maker, and we're going to get to that. Be like a living, breathing reconnaissance satellite. And you're going to be successful when you like the person that you're studying. Uh, I learned this lesson the hard way. I wanted, to, I wanted to give a platform for the things that I was seeing in people that I did not like. And it really shut down my perceptions on the things that I found usable and exploitable. I can't stress this enough. If you don't like them, you will focus on the wrong things. You have to, tr you have to try. You have to try to like them. So you're trying to create affinity. And that affinity is going to open them up to you. And that affinity is a precursor to rapport. That's the end state you want to get to. And a true, true story while researching this presentation, I was going to Barnes & Noble to check out some books on the CIA. And uh, the spot that I wanted to park in was taken. I mean, literally, a guy pulled right in. And OK, he got it. But I had to park eight rows back. And as I'm walking in the Starbucks, I took a look at the car. Uh, not Starbucks, uh, excuse me, Barnes & Nobles. I took a look at the car, and I saw just two things. It was a Honda Pilot, green Honda Pilot, and then on the back window was a, a sticker, United States Marine Corps, some wings, and then there was a little um, with a, a license plate holder, and it said, I fly for SWA. So I get inside, I get my books, a cup of coffee, I'm in, I'm in the cafe, and I overhear someone talking about 15 feet away from me, and within just a few seconds of paying attention, I was sure that this was the person who took the spot that I wanted to park in. So... I kind of did an experiment. I only listened in to the conversation. It was pretty loud anyway. I was talking to the people at the counter at the, at the register. And I only listened for about 90 seconds. This is what I learned in just listening for 90 seconds, putting it together with what I saw on the car. He's in the Marine Corps. He's a pilot. Based on the wing structure, he got out at approximately the 10 to 12-year point. He's a commissioned officer because that's what has, that you have to have a college degree to go on to fly. He's currently flying Boeing 737s, because that's pretty much the only thing there is in the fleet. His brother, he mentioned, flies for American Airlines. He's really concerned about the economy, and that was the gist of the conversation. But he has a very optimistic out, uh, outlook on things. We're going you know, to recover. He's married. His wife was there, and he spoke often of his teenage daughter. Like I said, he drives a late model green Honda Pilot and a very gregarious personality. Now, based on that profile, we can predict the following things. And these are, I Googled this, by the way, these are um, common traits across Marines and former Marines. So these are things that we can, you can't go through those 13 weeks without having this stuff imprint itself on you. So we can, we can say these things about him and then predict his future behaviors. And based on these things, we know that he's a person who values value. So 
Okay, he was just a guy in a bookstore, but if I had to like sell him an idea, I've got a really good vantage point to come in from. This is from uh, Alan Dulles. He must know something. They named an airport in D.C. after him. Um, and again, these are what they look for in the CIA for good intelligence officers, or as they call them in the field, assets. And if you, if you, if you, you know, live by this list, you're going to be good in any profession. Okay, uh, uh, another public service announcement. I actually saw somewhere online where someone was advocating that when you're in the water and a shark's coming at you, play dead, which is just ridiculous. There's like a whole mess of teeth coming your way. It's probably not the best way to react. So if you ever find yourself uh, with a shark, you've got to be the boss, and that means hitting it in the nose, the eye, or the gills, particularly the eyes or gills. Okay, so <laughs> another non sequitur. Uh, <clears throat> what to collect? You're, you're, you want to start out, like I said, that resume and background history. That's sort of the baseline fodder to get started on building a profile. If your company has spent the time and money to do Myers-Briggs testing, this is an absolute gold mine. I've been to, well, I think three of the big organizations that I've worked for have paid money to have people tested and then freely shared the results, the personality type of that, of that test. We'll get into a little bit more of that later. Find out what they're known passionate topics and what we call at Utravelocity their gotchas. These are things you do not go into a meeting and do. These are things that have gotten people either in trouble before or it's, a, it's some sort of predilection that this person just hates, you know, don't do it. Like we had a, we had a, I saw an executive director go in and con constantly use the term sausage factory in front of the uh, head of corporate communications and was butchered for doing so. <laughs> I won't say which company. L look, and this is key, look for uh, consistent unusual behaviors. And these are true things. I uh, had a former CEO that whenever you would present to her, you would give her slides, and while you're up there, hi, my name's Joe Dyer, and I'm here to talk to you today about our new social blah, blah, bling, bling, blah. She would go to the very last slide and read it and not listen to anything you say. She, very, very type A personality, let's get things done. That's something to know. Maybe you don't provide handouts. Maybe you don't have a summary slide. Kind of like my briefing here today. No, just kidding. Oh, another one, uh, we have a VP who uh, once did some design work for Duran Duran. It has a very unhealthy love for the band, and if you can work that into any conversation, it's gold. <laughs> Pertinent downward pressures, uh, you have to know, bosses have bosses, and if you know what their bosses want of them, it will help you immensely. If you're coming in there saying, we're, we've got this presentation that we're going to give to the baby boomer generation, and if they're focused on the youth market, it's completely falling on deaf ears. Learn their leadership uh, style. Are they autocratic or are they a consensus builder? Because this is going to be uh, a key way to interact with them. A an autocrat has got, you know, they, they're going to run things and they have to be right and uh, you better be in lockstep with that. If they're a consensus builder, and we'll talk about some more of this down the road, uh, go out there and pro profligate your ideas to others to help this person build consensus. And their communication style. Is it a marketing officer who loves the whiz-bang or is it you know, an emotional connection? Is it someone who's completely numbers-driven? Do they like the sound of things? Do they like pretty words and, and things like that? Or are they um, you know, completely non-creative and won't care at all? So uh, <laughs> you probably don't have any of these, but I really do wish I had explosive toothpaste. <laughs> but, but you might have these. And uh, I want to say right now, 
before I sound like another presentation today that is absolutely in love with Apple and the iPhone, this is the greatest Swiss Army knife to doing all the things I'm telling you here today. I can download, well, I have. Uh, there's a recorder on here. I can record meetings. And this isn't to, like, get people with a gotcha later. Um, it's to build a mnemonic library to remember what happened there. Because remember, if you're meeting with these, these, these senior managers or, or executives, you're there to do your job first, right? And then you do this stuff secondary. So while you're in there presenting, you know, well, this is what we're going to roll out in quarter number three of this year, you're also trying to remember all this stuff so you can get back to your desk and write it down. So I have like a recorder on here. There's a camera in here. There is, um, you've got contacts. So you can build a, you can start your baseline contact. All kinds of stuff. I mean, there's no end to your creativity in using this. So we're building up. What, what's the point here? Well, we're a very deliverables-centric uh, sort of career field, and so you want to build the dossier. Let's look at the anatomy of a good dossier. It's made up of uh, contact information. Uh, well, actually, let's just get right into it. So this is a, a fully fictitious dossier example. I'm, in this example, I'm using Microsoft Outlook, but you can use you know, Entourage. You can use... Uh, I think 37 Signals has a program called High Rise or something that's online. The idea is that you want a place to, to store this because you want to share it. So this is John Q. Public. He is a chief marketing officer of the Acme Corporation. We have his contact information. You might have his uh, assistant or secretary's information. It might be good to know what kind of uh, pastry she likes or he likes. The web information at the top in case they have a uh, corporate blog that would be good to harvest. Um, a lot of people like Starbucks, I think, uh, a lot of their executives are on, on Twitter, and these are places that you'd want to uh, annotate that sort of stuff as well. And then the, this is the, the heart of it, or the engine of the, of the dossier, and this is their profile information. This is where we're going to collect and store their communication style, their, their leadership style, and what their downward pressures are, what their focus and priorities are. Again, getting back to that Myers-Briggs gold mine, uh, John Q. Public here is a fairly uh, run-of-the-mill ENFJ, and that means he's kind of a coach, uh, cheerleader, motivational speaker all in one, a consensus builder, not an autocrat. If we really drilled down, we could get into, uh, and this is all freely available on Wikipedia, by the way, if you were to look at the Myers-Briggs assessment, you would have such an unbelievable insight into how this person thinks and how they communicate and how they like to be communicated with. The, the, the key takeaway for all of that is basically know your target, know the person that you're studying, the person that you're going to try to gain influence with. <laughs> uh, a few words on threat assessment. Um, I just liked that it said 400-pound gorilla and I really needed to include that slide. <laughs> so the network is you and your colleagues. Now, it might be you and your fellow IAs. It might be you and the entire customer experience department. I don't, I don't know how large your enterprise is. Or if you're not part of an enterprise, but you're an agency that does business with an enterprise, uh, it's good to have people on the inside that can give you this sort of information or work with you to collect this information. To create a network, to simply take you know what we're talking about here today. Uh, the the point is do this with people you trust because 
we're going to get into the ethics in a, little, uh, a couple of slides later, but you don't want to be collecting things um, that is inappropriate, and we'll get more to that. You have to be able to trust one another and collect the information that is appropriate. The benefits of creating this network is that uh, you're kind of like a super organism, right? You know, uh, that many organisms that, that combine into a, a, it's a gestalt principle. You're greater than the sum of your parts. That even the, the people who don't have a lot of access to senior leadership might in time have more access, uh, uh, let's say FaceTime with them. And the whole point is that you want to rise the water level for everyone on your team. Everyone has the ability to create and exert influence. And this is key here. Uh, the more you try to go it alone, the less successful you're going to be. Uh, there's a story here. Well, let's take this in, for example. Uh, I was introduced before I spoke today. And uh, the last story's in this book, by the way. I can't recommend it enough. It's called Yes uh, by a group, but Robert Cialdini, who also did author of Influence. He's the author of Influence. There's, there's a study in here about how um, people don't like it when people brag about themselves. They like it when someone else brags for you. That's the whole point of a paid endorsement. And even if people are aware that the endorsement is paid for, they still don't discount it. Another example would be if you worked at a real estate agent and office and somebody called in and said, yes, I'd like to speak to so-and-so. Instead of just transferring the call, you'd say, oh, you need to speak to Jill. She's got 15 years' experience in commercial real estate. That right there bragged for Jill, and, she, and it, it costs nothing, and it, it plants a seed in that person's mind that Jill really knows what, what she's doing. If you brag about yourself, people... Don't tend to like that. This is why you need each other. So if you're at work and, and a new application or a new client's coming in and, you know, hey, George has got a number of years' experience work, working with financial services companies, it, it sets the stage for success. I just borrowed this computer, so uh, they don't have the fonts installed that I originally did this. So uh, long story short here that you can't see. If, if you can use a guardrail to slow the car down, hopefully you don't care about the paint job too much. But uh, anything that causes friction like snow, uh, dirt, or anything like that, use that to slow your car down. So this last part on tactics is, uh, is almost a direct lift out of Scott Birkin's book, which is a fantastic book on project management. I think this is the gold standard. Uh, right out of chapter 16 with some minor editing. And here they are. Let's work through them. The group meeting, and I'm going to go through these, by the way, um, from least desirable tactic to the most desirable tactic. The group being least desirable because it's the hardest to control. Anybody sitting around that table in a group meeting can exert their politics on the situation. And there, it's kind of like a kind of like a ping pong effect in there. You've got a direct route that you want to get to. You want to get to yes. You want to get to a green light on your idea, and then somebody can throw a curveball in there. So you have to do your homework. You really have to play the devil's advocate in advance and know what the individual agendas are around that table. Uh, basically, predict and control for it. You would choose this one when maybe there isn't a single decision maker. When you need to convince more than one person the same thing. The, the next is the Jedi mind trick. And uh, 
Let me tell a story that's actually in this book. That There actually is in real life a real Jedi mind trick, and it's called the labeling technique. And how it works, basically, is you take somebody and you give them, you tell them a trait or something desirable that they want to hear, and then you make a request of them. I'll give you an example. They took a group of people in a study. They selected 50% of them at random and said, you're an above-average citizen, after filling out a survey, by the way. You're an above-average citizen, one who's really plugged in your community, blah, 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 and you like to vote and whatever. And what they did was they asked them to go out uh, to, to vote in an upcoming election. It turned out the 50% people that they took and, and sort of gave this incentive to voted at a, at a significantly higher level. I think it was like 15, almost 20% higher. And the point of that is simply that once you create this sort of state in someone's mind, they want to live up to it. Be careful, though, because the uh, Jedi mind trick is uh, fraught with blowback. If you're discovered, if, you, if the person discovers you're manipulating them, it's not, not so good. So use this only if you have the improv uh, improvisational skills and the uh, subtlety to carry that out. In military terms, flanking your objective is simply to take a target, not head-on, but from the side. This is where you'd use your colleagues to exploit their peer pressure and also um, help those people who need the consensus building or, or for instance, the great one about this is you can determine whether you want to continue to use your direct influence, which is the, the heavy dark line, or, or just let your surrogates carry it out. You would do this when making direct requests have failed. Again, when your target is a consensus builder. Or, or that person is just not able to make a decision. And, and, and try as you might, your decisions alone weren't enough, or your, your arguments enough weren't enough to carry the day, and they, you just need a push. Next is the indirect request. Find somebody who the target listens to. The target has somebody that they hold into esteem and will listen to, and it might not be you. They may not like you. Or the last project you were on didn't end so well, and your fingerprints and, then, and DNA were all over it, and they frankly uh, don't want to deal with you. Or it is such a bureaucracy that it's not appropriate for some of your level to speak to the target at that level. And I just said all that. Good. And the last one, and this is the one you want to use most often, is the direct request, getting someone to yes. A couple of things to keep in mind when you're, when you're making a direct request. A very powerful word in your vocabulary is because. There were some studies done where they had people wait in line to use a copier, and they had someone uh, run in at the last minute, cut in front of the, uh, everyone in line, and say, I need to make some copies. And they were only successful about 60% of, of the time of letting someone uh, getting in front of the line. But when they started to use the word because, there was a dramatic in increase. If they came up and said something simply as stupid and inane as, I need to use the copier because I need to make copies. Who doesn't? But it went from 60 to 93% only because they used the word because. Because they implanted an outcome. 
And of course, when they came in and said something like, I need to make copies because I'm in a hurry, it was still 94%, a dramatic improvement just because they used the word because. Another one you see politicians do all the time is, can I count on your support for something? If you get the person to verbalize that they are going to support you, it's kind of like the Jedi mind trick. Once they have stated this aloud, they are going to be much more in alignment with living up to that, that statement that they've made. You would do this when you have rapport. Remember we said before, rapport is the end state. Much better than affinity. When you get to this point, not so bad to walk into the CEO's office and make a request, and next thing you know, your sea-changing idea for your industry is get, has got the green light and you're going to be in production soon. So we can't do all of this without some kind of ethics. Oh, uh, by the way, This was going to be a long story about how to survive if your parachute doesn't open. Uh, it doesn't end well either. Even if you do connect with the person next to you that does have a parachute, when theirs deploys, it automatically breaks both your arms. I'm going to regret putting those in the presentation. Got it. Okay, so I want to tell you today that the, the whole concept or model for data uh, mining using spies is a good thing. The, the reason it's good is because this is a symbiotic relationship, and, and the whole point of it is you want your ideas to perform well in the marketplace. It's good for you, and it's good for the organization. And uh, an executive who saw my presentation before I came out here pointed out to me that some companies actually have rules against this kind of behavior, which is completely, completely news to me. I think I worked for a company that had that rule and didn't know it and did it anyway. <laughs> So be sure to check. It's, it's unlikely. I think this person is just you know, doing their due diligence as a manager to make sure I'm not here telling you people anything that could jeopardize your career. But do that first. Know when to be trustworthy. Basically, the whole rest of this list is nothing but golden rule stuff, right? You wouldn't want anyone doing this to you, so why do it to someone else? And, and the thing I really want to stress is if that genie gets out of the bottle and you have to be policed, you're not going to like it unless you police yourselves. So as a network, police yourselves. Separate the wheat from the chaff. What to do if you get, if you get caught? Be very honest and explain very, very openly what you're doing. It, it will end badly if you don't. And that typical IA responses to this question like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you following me around? What are you doing here? You know, all that kind of... Um, just let them know it's your job to know your audience. Just like you know your web audience online, you're, you're learning about your audience. I think someone was talking earlier about, uh, Dan Brown was talking about deliverables and changing the type of deliverable for the audience that's using it. It really is the same concept. That you're just doing your due diligence. That as IAs, we aren't in a position of power to dictate policy, but it's our job to influence it. We are trusted advisors. We are soothsayers. This is how we do it. And lastly, just let them know that you know, being studied in this way is flattering. I mean, we love what you do here so much. We're, we're, we're just trying to study you, boss. <laughs> and in conclusion, three steps basically. Consider this model for data collection to gather intelligence, to create your own network. Take, uh, these slides will be online, by the way, if you want to take it and create your own network. And above all, use it to leverage the decision makers to stand between you and your implementation of ideas. And if you don't remember anything else today, don't worry. It's not going to be about gorillas or sharks or anything like that. 
I do want you to know how to make the perfect James Bond martini. This is the actual recipe from Casino Royale. Uh, and I, I bet if you actually drank this, it would taste terrible because uh, uh, Lilith Kina is kind of like, uh, it's not vermouth. It is actually a wine-based drink that has a lot of quinine in it. A lot of uh, British soldiers from way back uh, developed a taste for the quinine. And so this is actually a pretty awful drink, if, but you can really impress people that you know. And at this time, I'd like to conclude and take any questions you have. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.